You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Good morning, everyone. Well, let me be another uh, face and name to say hi and good morning. Glad we could gather this morning to worship on a beautiful day, too, which is great. Uh, we have been preaching through the goodness of God for the past five weeks. We're going to be continuing that this morning. Uh, we have four more uh, Sunday sermon messages on the goodness of God, including this morning. And the goodness of God encompasses so many things. It's such a rich uh, uh, character of God, peace of God, uh, that we're studying and teaching on. Um, and not any one of these sermons is really able to cover all of the expanse of what the goodness of God is uh, both in reflection of who he is and in understanding of how it impacts us. So if you haven't listened to uh, the previous sermons, if you haven't heard them yet, go back and listen to them. Uh, certainly a few more upcoming as well. Well, because we are teaching on something that's such an expanse uh, concept and character of God, uh, we've been working with the definition. We kind of like had this definition from the beginning of this series. We're kind of building uh, or working through it, building on it each week. And here's what the definition is, is that we're working with. It's the goodness of God is his inclination to deal well and bountifully with his creatures. It is whole catalog of mercy, grace, long-suffering, abundance of truth, summed up in this one word, and that one word being goodness, right? That's the goodness of God, such a rich concept. Now, our sermon series is titled Taste and See, Learning to Trust the Goodness of God, right? So we're starting with the assumption that there is God. We're making that assumption. This series is about the nature of God, right? Not just any God, but the God that we worship. And also present in the sermon series title, this, this recognition that we have to learn to trust the goodness of God. It doesn't come automatically. We have to learn both that he is good and that his being good is good for us. And today, we're looking at the goodness of God to all. The goodness of God to all. all right, that's God's goodness, is goodness to and for all people. And we're going to apply some understanding throughout the message this morning of what we mean by that, by the word all, where that, what, what we mean by that. We believe not just that God is over all, but that God's goodness is truly good for all. We believe this because it's what the Bible says about God. So let's turn to the Bible now. I'm going to read uh, two different sections of Scripture. First, Psalm 145. It's on page 524 if you're using those black hardcover Bibles that are underneath the chairs around you. 524, Psalm 145. And then also 1 Peter chapter 1 at the end of chapter 1. That's on page 1014. If you're looking at the bulletin, the bulletin had a little bit of a typo. That was my error. I, gave the, I submitted the wrong verses this week. And so uh, Psalm 145, 1 Peter 1. So on page 24, we'll start there. Psalm 145, starting in verse 8. Starting in verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. 
The Lord is faithful in all of his works, words, and kind in all of his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all those who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Now moving to page 1014 in those Bibles, if you're using them, or 1 Peter at the end of chapter 1, starting in verse 22, we'll read a little bit into chapter 2. So starting in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for this pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please bow your heads as I pray for us. God, we praise you as the one true God, ruler over, ruler over all creation. You are good to us. May your word teach us of your goodness, that we would love you more this morning. Amen. As I said a moment ago, today we're looking at God's goodness to all. Let's do that in two parts. First, God's goodness to all in his providence, and second, God's goodness to all in his peace. So first, God's goodness to all in his providence. Let's define our term here. I said that we need to look into this. What do I mean by the word all, that God's goodness is to all in his providence? And I mean it's literally his goodness to literally all people, right? Believers and unbelievers alike. If we're going to categorize, I'll do that this morning, all right, believers and unbelievers, Okay, truly all people without exception. So now why is that true and how is it actual goodness? All right, God's providence is God causing all things to come to be. All right, let me sit here for a moment because providence is a word we use in Christian circles, uh, but perhaps it's not explained often enough. All right, it's also not a word, providence, that's used in the Bible. Okay, and if that causes you some panic, don't panic. Okay, it's a word like discipleship or like trinity or even like the word biblical. Right? These are words that don't show up in the Bible, but they're meaningful because they reflect the revelation and truth that is contained within the Bible itself. They tell us about what we believe, about what the Bible says, and about who God is. So to help us focus right now, I want to use a definition and explanation of providence uh, from the Heidelberg Catechism. As it has a clear and a helpful explanation of the providence of God. A catechism is a a summary of principles and beliefs, often in a question and answer format used for teaching and for instruction. 
Right, there's a couple different catechisms that I would say and our church would say like we would stand behind. Here's question and answer 27 from the Heidelberg. It says, Providence is the almighty, everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures and so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, Fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. All things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. By the hand of God in heaven, who is called Father because he's the creator of all persons. As one commentator puts it, where God patrols, he controls. And God patrols over all of creation and its inhabitants, and therefore controls all the things that come to them. Another commentator put it this way, if he inspects, he affects. God is never a spectator. He's never detached from what is happening. He may not be acting the way that we expect or want at times, but he is always acting. And because of this, all of the blessings that come to all people Believers and unbelievers alike, they all come from the hand of God and not by chance. We read in Psalm 145, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Right? Remember those categories, believers and unbelievers. God is slow to anger even to unbelievers. Right? All people, and this way, He's good to all. Maybe as Christians we can sometimes ascend to the thought that God is slow to anger with us, and we love that, right? We love that about God. But let this be a reminder to you, I know it is a reminder to me, that that God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love for unbelievers, for all people. I'm I'm prone to think that God is sometimes fast to anger with unbelievers, or maybe I want that to be the case. Are you like me in that regard, that sometimes I want God to be fast. Sometimes I think of him unconsciously as a little bit like the enforcer of the Christian group, right? When we see people, wicked people living or unbelievers prospering a certain way or acting a certain way, we kind of think, all right, God, go get them. React quickly in your anger toward them. But he's not like that, right? That's not what's best for them. That's not good for them. God is good for them too in that he's slow to anger and abounding in his steadfast love. Another way I think of it like this, I I think I can sometimes be, and can you be like this, like one of my older children, right, who will sometimes become really impatient with their younger siblings, right, and they'll come to me and they'll say what their younger siblings are doing, and then they'll quickly want me to go and discipline them, and I'll have to tell them at times, right, their younger siblings sometimes need more patience. They need a steadfast love a slow for me to become angry with them, just like they needed when they were younger too. And so even as we want God to punish evildoers, and there's a lot to say about the imprecatory psalms and our imprecatory prayers, right, and how we do want God to act justly in this world, there's a lot to say about that, right? God is good to all in his steadfast love and his slowness to become angry. This is goodness, and it's not by chance. Psalm 145, verse 15, God gives food to all in due season. That is, if food is given, it comes from God, not by chance. 
Verse 16, God satisfies the desire of every living thing. That is, if a desire is satisfied, right, it comes from God. It's not by chance. Verse 17, the Lord is kind in all of his works, and that is for all people. Last year, we read and studied through the book of Acts. And in Acts 14, Paul says to the crowd in Lystra, in past generations, God allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave them without a witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Right, Paul was echoing what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Jesus said, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends his rain on the just and on the unjust. God is good to all. Right? God in his goodness even permits unbelievers and causes unbelievers and unbelievers alike to prosper in the world. It's not just we get the same good things, we get prosperity, and that is for all people. Right? The psalmist in Psalm 73 writes, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. All right, there's a lot of other examples of this throughout the Psalms and Scripture. The bottom line is the arrogant also prosper. Right? All people prosper. That's goodness of God to all. And it's not just prosperity as the world defines it. Right? As the world defines prosperity, sometimes we can quickly excuse that as really not the prosperity that we would want. Right? That's what they're getting. So if they get that so-called prosperity of lavish living and embarrassing riches, Right? An untamed power execu- you know, exercised over others. Okay, we can see that and at least kind of justify that, justify it to ourselves and against it, and just say, well, that's worldly prosperity. That's wrong. We don't even want that kind of prosperity. But all people, believers and unbelievers, also prosper in ways that we would call good. Right? Their needs are abundantly met, whether money, food, shelter, and the like. Right? They have thriving, healthy relationships with friends and family. Do you ever find yourself seeing that you don't have healthy relationships with your friends and family and looking at other people and wondering why they do? Why does that goodness come to them? It comes to all people. God permits that and causes that. They have joy in their work, unbelievers do. They work hard and they rest well. Right? They give to support charitable causes right? and people honor them. These are all good things. The, prosperity of, the goodness of prosperity comes to all people. God brings it to all people, believers and unbelievers, in his providence. What about the providence of God and what we don't quickly see as being good? For any one of us, right? that comes to all people, but what about that? What about the failures and famine, the poverty and the persecution, sickness, sadness, and grief? All of this comes from the hand of God too, and not by chance, right? How is that God's goodness to all, literally all people? Well, truly it's goodness first, and I think foundationally, because it's not by chance, right? It's goodness because it does come from the hand of God. And that's not just wordplay. I'm not just trying to, right? It's not a rope-a-dope there. I'm not just trying to trick us into believing that. Last weekend over Memorial Day, uh, we were at a friend's house, my, my youngest, Miles, he's three. He was playing baseball with his friend who's also three, and Miles was pitching. And he made this kind of, kind of a bit of an error here. He was pitching from about two feet away. Right? So here's these two little three-year-olds playing baseball. 
right? And so he threw the ball, and the, the bat swung and hit him in the face, cut his lip, okay? And he just cried hysterically, and immediately I turn, and he just turns to me, and I turn to him. There's blood everywhere, right? And he's just crying. He can do nothing but cry. He's in so much pain, and he looks to me to comfort him. And I, and I, I ran over and did my best to comfort him, right? I didn't, I didn't tell the first service, like, hey, he's okay, right? I, I failed to mention that. Someone asked me afterwards, is he okay? I'm like, he's okay. Got some stitches, okay? But what did he do? He ran to me because I was there. Let me ask you, when you have a burden in your life, are you okay? Are you better off sitting alone in that? Or is it better to share that burden with someone? Do you want someone to share that with? Okay. And when you share it with them, is it comforting if they were to respond with, who cares? Would that be comforting to you? Would have been comforting to my son if I said, I don't care about that. No. If you say to them, I'm sick, and they respond with, who cares? Is that better? No. If you say, I'm weary, and they say, who cares? If you say, I'm hurt, and they say, who cares? If you say, I've lost a parent, and they responded with, who cares? I've lost a child. Who cares? What if you said my marriage is a mess? And they just said, who cares? Or if you said that I'm angry? And they say, who cares? What if you're wrestling with death? And you're facing death. And you said, I'm going to die. And someone just says, who cares? Is it better to have no one care? Or is it better to know that God either permits or causes all the hardships of our lives to come to us? It doesn't eliminate the question. Right? Please hear that. All right? and, and this is where, like, oh, I'm just going to wrestle not saying too much here. I'm going to stay on my assignment of this sermon. Right? We have in a couple weeks the sermon of God's goodness to sufferers. Okay? And listen to previous sermons that we've been talking about, kind of the, the contradicting, the seeming contradicting. It's not a contradiction of God's goodness to those who are in pain. Okay? It doesn't eliminate our questions. But it changes our questions to know that this, all of this comes from God, right? Why did this happen is not as satisfying a question for us as why God did this happen. When you have these questions, don't leave them in your head. Don't sit with them on your own. Many of them, you can't. I know that to be true. I can't sit with these questions on my own. I look elsewhere for comfort, for answers. Let us look to God for them. Bring them to God. Right? As Christians, don't respond to other people by saying, who cares? I would hope none of us would do that. But also, let's not give answers to questions that shut down the question, make it seem like it's easy as to why, through the providence of God, we get hard things too. And don't, don't stuff them like to quick answers and don't stuff them into closets as if when you deal with it once it goes away. There are things that are hard for us in our lives that only become harder when we look back over longer periods of time. There are questions that we have that we give answers to and then later on in life that same question just comes up and we wrestle with it again. Right? But in God's providence, in His goodness, it's not by chance. And that's good that it's not by chance. Without saying more on the answers to those questions, I want to I keep our focus narrow for now. I want to say this. The blessings that come from God 
and the hardships that come from God are ultimately intended to draw us to God himself. Right? They're good in that they're not by chance, and they're good for all in that they can draw us to God. Paul writes it this way in Romans 2, verse 4. He says, Do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? The sun rising, the rains falling, the prosperity, the pain of life, in God's providence is meant to bring all people to acknowledge God as creator, sustainer, and giver of all things and to turn to him in repentance and worship. And for those who repent, the greater goodness of God is found. Okay, hear what what Paul says. He asks that question, and then the next verse, right? He says, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. He asks that question. Don't you know that? Don't presume upon the kindness. Then he says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. For those who presume upon the goodness of God comes the wrath of God. But for those who do not presume upon it and instead turn to God and repent comes the peace of God, greater goodness. So let's turn to our second point. God's goodness to all in his peace. God's goodness to all in his peace. What do I mean by all here? Okay? It is that in his goodness, is that his goodness is for all with whom he has peace. For all with whom he has peace. This is different than God's providence. Okay? God's goodness in his providence is for all people, believers and unbelievers alike. God's goodness in his peace is for believers. It is with believers that God has peace, and therefore it is to believers that this goodness comes. The believers are those who do not presume upon the riches of God's kindness, but instead respond to God's kindness and his goodness with repentance and worship. And what is the goodness that comes with this peace? In 1 John 1, it's written, if we confess our sins, right, repentance, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the goodness of his peace for all. In his peace, we are forgiven our sins. The sin of our rebellion against God, the sin of our hatred of God, the sin of our desire to be gods ourselves, to reorder creation and define right and wrong and truth as we would see fit, the sins of our flesh that so easily entangle us. Right? Galatians 5 has a good list of them. Among them, sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, sorcery, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, envy, and drunkenness. Right? In his peace, the goodness that comes with his peace, we're forgiven our sins. This is the goodness of God, forgiveness for all. And there's much more to the goodness that comes in this peace. Right? At times over the years here at Liberty, we've likened the gospel to a diamond, right? That is, the good news about the redemptive work of Christ on the cross can be looked at from different angles. And even as a diamond itself never changes when you turn it, right, our appreciation of it only is made more full, 
when we rotate it and look at it and admire it from different sides. And so the goodness of God to all believers, to all in his peace is forgiveness of sins, right? It also includes reconciliation with God our Father, adoption into the family of God, sanctification that allows us to experience freedom from the power of sin, and the promise and security of eternal salvation and complete freedom at that time from sin in every way. That salvation is what we read of in 1 Peter 2, right? Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Believers have tasted that the Lord is good. And therefore, the goodness of God and his peace leads them into salvation. Right? The theologian Cornelius Plantinga said that the fall, okay, when sin entered the world via Adam and Eve's disobedience, that the fall is the vandalism of peace. Right? He called it the vandalism of peace. God restores that peace. And with it comes goodness to all who taste and see that the Lord is good. Paul goes on to say in 2 Peter, we're reading those verses. After those verses, he goes on to say that as we come under God's peace, we are being built up as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. This is also the goodness that comes in God's peace. We're being built into this. The kingdom of God that we're adopted into is often described as here but not yet. Have you heard that before? Right? Here but not yet. Okay, that's true. We're both at peace with God now in the name of Jesus and also being built more and more into the full goodness of that peace. And so someday, whether we die, whether after we die or by Christ's return, okay, we will be raised to new life into the fullness of that goodness. But right now, we're being built into it. And right now, because we're being built into it, because it hasn't come yet, because we can think quickly more about the future of God's goodness to come in heaven than maybe we do now, it can be hard for us. I know it can be hard for me to feel the goodness that comes from God's peace now. Right? I can believe it, but I don't oftentimes feel it. It's hard. i got to wrestle for it. Right? My inclination is to treat the peace of God like a vacation, right? like a vacation that's scheduled. Right? But it's not here yet. All right? I'm signed up for vacation. I'm thinking about a vacation I'll go to later this summer. Right? I, know, I know where I'm going. Right? I've even spent some money for where I'm going to make it happen. Okay? But I'm not on vacation right now. Right? Whatever good that vacation will be, it's only anticipation right now. It's only looking forward to it. There's no actual experience of it. God's peace is not like that for believers. God's peace has goodness for us now. All right, in Psalm 145, we read of some of that. And in those verses, in Psalm 145, there's a, there's a shift that happens there. At one point in that psalm, it says, The Lord is faithful in all his works, words, and kind is all his works. And it describes some of the ways in which he's faithful. But then later it says, The Lord is righteous. In all, of his, in all of his ways, and kind in all of his works. And then from there, it describes some of the goodness that comes to believers, if you look at those verses. Right? In verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, 
to all who call on him in truth. Well, who does that? That's believers. God is near to us now because we call on him. In verse 19, he fulfills the desire of all who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Well, who's that? That's believers, right? God hears our cry now when we cry out to him, right? He's close to us when we're in fear. In verse 20, the Lord preserves all who love him, believers, but all the wicked he will destroy. Right? Do you hear how God is with us now? Earlier we sang the song, Look and See. And we sang these lines. We said, Look and see our God and celebrate the power of the cross and the empty grave. And now we're free. Let the redeemed lift up your head. Oh, look and see our God. There is comfort that we have as Christians now that we can look up and see our God. And that's a good song for us to sing. I enjoy that song. It's biblical, okay, the message of it. There's an aspect of that view that we can miss, of that looking up and seeing God that Scripture talks about. And it's not as readily identified when we sing it. Okay, it gives us comfort now more than we might realize. So not just that we look up and see God, that is good, but when we look up, we see God seeing us. We see that God sees us. Right? It's in the goodness of God's peace that we have an even greater experience and goodness of God's providence, which we already talked about. Right? For all believers, God's providence means more. The word providence means to see, right? but not just in the way that we believe God sees us, as if he can see us and we can see him. Right? More than that, providence translates most completely as to see to something right? or see to something. Right? That is, God in his providence is seeing to us. And so when he gives us gifts, which he gives to all people, well, we as believers, because of the peace we have, can actually see God seeing to us. Right? The believer who's in the goodness of God's peace has a greater experience of his providence. We can right now trust, know, and experience God's goodness at a deeper level. It allows us to understand and find joy in what Paul writes in Romans 5. Because if you're not a believer, this does not make sense. Okay, And Paul writes in Romans 5, Since we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Right? On this Pentecost day, through the Holy Spirit, right, this has been given to us. The hope of the believer will not be put to shame. That's why we can celebrate this. Right? If you don't have that hope, those verses don't make sense to you. But if you do have that hope, they make a whole lot of sense. Because it rests on the goodness of God that is for all believers now and as we're being built up into that for eternity. We don't hope in something like a vacation that hasn't arrived. Rather, we hope in God's peace and God's kingdom that is here now, and we know God is seeing to us being forever in it. 
And that's how we should always be coming to the table. But before we come to the table right now, let me just close with this call to receive God's peace. If you're not a Christian, if you do not have peace with God, be encouraged that God in his providence is providing goodness to you. Everything that comes to you in your life is God's goodness to you. God loves you. right? He desires that you do not presume upon his goodness and his kindness. In God's kindness and goodness, though, and in his providence, he gives to all people good gifts. And he gives these to unbelievers and believers alike. So now, please hear me, believers too, right? We take these gifts that God gives us and we distort them, right? In our sin, we distort them. We distort them to the harm of ourselves and we distort them to the harm of others. And everybody does this. We all do this. I do this. Work is a good gift from God and we distort it. We become a slave to our work. We become ungrateful for honest work, right? We become lazy. We use our work to rule over others. Sex is a good gift from God that we distort. We become a slave to the gratification of our flesh. We engage in sexual impurity. We wield sex as a weapon against our own hearts and bodies and against the hearts and bodies of others. Food is a good gift from God that we distort. We become a slave to greediness and to consumption. We spoil and waste what God provides. We avoid food or we binge on food in a futile effort to gain control of our lives. We distort the gifts of wealth and social standing and much more. Ultimately, what all of us do is we try to import more than the gift itself can bear, more than it's meant to be. God in his providence gives good gifts to all, but do not presume upon his kindness. And that's a message for us Christians too, right? May none of us presume upon the kindness and goodness of God because we do this. Do not take the gift of God and make it more than it's meant to be. Instead, let us receive the gifts of God in his providence and let it move us to see the gift giver, to taste and see that he is good. And may we then be moved to repentance and to the goodness of God's peace. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads as I pray for us. God, thank you for the gifts that you give to all of us. Thank you for being slow to anger and abounding in your steadfast love. May your spirit help us to see you as the giver of all good gifts. And may we turn to not only see you, but also to see you seeing to us as your people. We love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.